0: Well, we're going to continue our message series that we've called Story Time, and we're 12th week of this now. And today we're talking about how to kill a giant. And if you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to find First Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. If you're using those Bibles, if you're um, kind of a church Bible user, you may have noticed we switched from... Soft cover to hard cover Bibles because the print on the other ones was just so hard to read and the other Bibles were out of print and we couldn't get any more of them. So in this hard cover red Bible, it's page 242, 242. If you were here last Sunday with us, you may recall that we met Joshua and Gideon. These two very impressive Old Testament figures who, in spite of living in different centuries of time, shared a real willingness to be men who would act on faith. They would march to unusual commands or orders. And so we were asking the questions, is there anything that I'm doing today that requires faith? And we were asking the question, can I march to new orders in my life? Am I open to unusual things? Our timeline for Israel so far looks something like this. So the nation was was founded because of a promise that God made to Abraham Uh, whose God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, whose name is also Israel, was the father of 12 sons. And the 11th of his sons is named Joseph. So that's kind of the founding. Joseph was sold into slavery. He ended up in Egypt, first as a slave, then a prisoner, but miraculously was raised to the position of prime minister of Egypt. Perfectly timed when there was a, a great famine and a need throughout the known world. And people came to Egypt for food, including his estranged family who came back and settled in Egypt. And they flourished into a great, great nation, two or three million people. And uh, yet at the same time, the Pharaoh had enslaved them and they began to cry out to the Lord, not just for an escape, for, for deliverance. And so God sent a man named Moses who delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt through a series of r- miracles and, tr- and, uh, and uh, calamities that God brought about for Egypt. But they wandered in that desert for 40 years because after once they came out of Egypt, they, God gave to them the law and how to worship Him. They came to the promised land and they got scared and they backed out. They said, this is too hard. This is too dangerous. And so um, God said, fine, I'm going to let you wander around for 40 years and let the next generation go in. And sometimes, you know, there's a lesson in that. Sometimes we, we're scared and we hold back. And so God says, OK, well, I'll let the next generation take the land. And that's exactly what happened. They were led into the land by Moses' personal assistant, Joshua. And uh, that's the kind of the period of conquest. As they took the land for themselves, they occupied cities they had not built. They farmed farms they had not planted. And they benefited greatly in that time. But after Joshua, they entered a season of time called a, really a tribal season. They were governed by a series of judges. Gideon was one of those. And it was, they were, they were pretty unruly and it was kind of a loose collection of tribes and kind of the low point, probably the low point of Israel's history. Some terrible things that were done. You can read about it in the book of Judges. Junior high boys love the book of Judges because it's grotesque and it's horrible things that happen. There's lots of blood and, and Yeah, I just remember as a junior high, just thinking that was the coolest book in the Bible. And then finally, today we're going to enter the season of um, Israel's kingdom, period. This kind of restless nation went to their leader, the judge and prophet Samuel, and they demanded a king. Give us a king. Everyone else is a king. We want a king. And God very reluctantly agreed. And Samuel was then uh, asked to anoint Saul. A man named Saul as the first king of Israel. Now, Saul was king for 40 years and he was a pretty good military commander and he did a lot to unite the tribes uh, into really a, a nation together. But he was not a godly king. He was not a godly man. He did not obey easily. And usually monarchies will stay in a family, right? They, they go down the line. Uh, and this time, God had a better person in mind. A man, young man, a shepherd boy, really, named David. David. And David would replace Saul. But it would not be an easy transition. If you're familiar with the story, you know that David was never willing to take the throne by force. He rather trusted in God's timing, even though it was a long, slow wait. Saul was, was jealous and paranoid of David, even though David would honor uh, Saul. But their, their relationship started okay. And that's where we're going to pick up today's adventure in 1 Samuel 17. So hopefully you found that by now. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. You know, it says 1 Kings, but that's my typo. It should say 1 Samuel. I apologize. I was thinking the king. But we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says the Philistines, so this is their kind of ongoing nemesis, their enemy. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped being soka in Judah and Azekah at Ephesimim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. You can just visualize that. Nobody wants to engage in the battle because they'll be in a vulnerable spot. So they're just waiting. Verse four. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. It be Like that. And it was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Verse 8 Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Verse 12. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For forty days, verse sixteen says, "For forty days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army." Let's take a seat together. It's a great literary setup, isn't it? We've got a hero. You've got a villain. You've got David, the young shepherd. You've got Goliath, the giant. Everyone loves this story. Everybody loves this story. Popular culture uses all the time, uses the phrase, uh, you know, uh, David and Goliath. Uh, you, you know, you have friends or coworkers who may know nothing about the Bible, may not believers, but they know exactly what a David and Goliath struggle is, right? It's a, it's a familiar term in our culture. Now, you've got Goliath. He is dramatically intimidating. She's huge, nearly ten feet tall. Although um, there's some potential discrepancy, the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls um, copies of scripture uh, inc- describe him as a little bit less than that, as maybe about six and a half feet tall. But for that era, he is a tall, big, tall man. And he's dressed. Head to toe in bronze armor, he's he's completely covered. He he has great big weapons. He's got like a big old sword, right? It's probably bigger than that. You can just imagine. There's there's Goliath's sword. We're just going to put that over here. Might need it later. Because if I go long and the, you start charging the stage, I, I have to hold you back. Right, he's, his, he his, his armor is, it's bronze, so you can just imagine it shimmers in the sun, it just shines, it flashes as the sun is on it. He's just, that scale armor that it mentions, that's significant. Where, where else do you see scales? What creature has scales? Fish, right? So the, the Philistines were originally a coastal people, and their pagan god that they worshipped was the god Dagon. I've got a, an ancient kind of, representation of of the god Dagon, often represented as a fish. So you've got Goliath. He's more than a warrior for the Philistines. He's sort of the embodiment of their hope and their worship. He's he's represented almost as the god Dagon, mocking the armies of the living God. This is not good. And verse 11 says this, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, obviously, any of us might be scared of Goliath. I I would be. But only if we believe he's the biggest dog in the fight. You see, King Saul and the Israelite soldiers, they saw only the giant and all his intimidation. They forgot the essential truth that the Lord was on their side. The same may be happening to you today, the things you're facing. Let's put it this way. If you're following in your outline today, it would say this, that we need to recognize our giants, but focus on the Lord. Recognize your giants, but focus on the Lord. See, young David was sent by his, his father to deliver food supplies to his brothers and the other troops. We, we read that, um, or we'll see that later. It says he went back and forth. But we learn that um, through the passage that that's what he was doing. He was carrying food to his brothers. He was carrying some cheese to the, to the army to supply everybody. That's how they did it in those days. And he stumbles into this confrontation. And and he he hears, if you you carry on from verse 16, you know, David gets there and and he sees what's happening. He goes to say hi to his brothers, right? In verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant? The men asked, verse 25. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family, oh, this would be good. The man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Huh, now that's a temptation. that's, That's good. But verse 26, catch this. We'll have this one on screen. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Huh. David took Goliath seriously, but only because he was so zealous for God's reputation. Whatever challenge you are facing today, whether it's, whether it's in your parenting or maybe a a struggle with habitual sin in your life or financial stress or, you know, maybe relationship problems, whatever you're up against today, right? Let me remind you, yes, acknowledge and and recognize, you know, the, the giant for what it is. But don't fixate on it. Don't be like those soldiers who just kept looking at the giant. They were paralyzed. You need to see the Lord. Even in our, our nation's problems right now, and let, let's face it, it's it's a bit dismal in some regards. Like don't gripe and complain about politics or politicians. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Some of us are more excited about what you know Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck says than what, what Jesus says. You just hearing from Vlad and an old guy I got to see kind of some other the pictures the other day, and you know these guys are planting churches in Ukraine. Is there anything in your life or mine that 's even a little bit difficult compared to that? No, look at the lord don 't look at the giant declare that God is greater than the problem. He's your wisdom. He's your strength. He's your provider. He's your healer. Whatever it is, you declare that He's, he's greater than any giant you face today. And meanwhile, you know, David, David was not willing to see God's people endure this, this humiliation at the hand of the enemy. Nor, nor would he let Goliath keep insulting God. He started asking around, okay, what's the plan? What's going to be done for the guy who defeats this? uncircumcised Philistine. And, uh, you know, the king hears about it and he gives him an audience. Let's pick up the story at verse 32. Verse 32 says, (laughs) I love this. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I love this guy. I have done this to both lions and bears. Man, Chuck Norris says nothing on this guy. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord go with you. Verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it. Right? Gets the sword. Took a step or two. Sword's probably dragging along behind him. Right? And he'd never worn anything like this before. I can't go with these, David says. I'm not used to them. So David took the armor off, put the sword down, went to the creek bed and got five smooth stones. To Saul, this was an obvious thing. In a single combat, man-to-man, hand-to-hand situation, you need armor, you need to match shield for shield, sword for sword. But David knew he couldn't suddenly become something he wasn't. He couldn't beat Goliath playing by Goliath's rules. In other words, who you are, Is exactly who you need to be. Who you are is who you need to be. David chose an altogether different way to fight. He used what he knew instead of trying to, you know, best Goliath and the very skills Goliath was known for. He was a warrior since since his own youth. So without armor, David appeared very vulnerable. And we see all those Sunday school pictures. Big old huge Goliath and little David in those little tunic, little shepherd's tunic. I don't think they really dressed like that, but anyway. But he was, without that armor, he was quicker and he was, he was more agile. He was, was, you know, smaller. He could sling the stone at Goliath while still out of Goliath's reach. Slingers were commonly used in battle because they were deadly. They were really dangerous and very accurate. So I've got a little picture of a sling up there. What a sling might have looked like. (laughs) Flies at about, um, uh, I think about 35 meters a second when that when that rock leaves is so about 100 feet a second. So not not quite a bullet out of the gun, but it's pretty impressive. And it and can hit the forehead with enough force to kill a man. That's that part is not the miracle. The stone hitting his head is not the miracle. But right, David knew his own skills and he trusted God to make those skills effective. And I just wonder if sometimes we aren't a little bit too much like Saul and in, in all that armor and going great to great lengths to play it safe and protect ourselves from any potential harm or injury or risk that we don't even take a chance to enter a battle. And friend, God has uniquely made you who you are. and the problems you deal with, yes, they're physical and they're spiritual and there's there's giants to defeat and territory to take back in your life. but be yourself that's that's who God made you to be. and he expects you to be that. Take advantage of the spiritual gifts. That God's given you and your interests and your experiences, what you've already been through. Grow in that relationship with God. Trust Him with all your might. But who you are is who you need to be. Which takes us to the next thought. And I just love this. And that preparation and grace and love are powerful in battle. Preparation and grace and love are powerful in battle. See, David, David had no idea he'd face a giant that day. He was simply delivering bread. But he was prepared. He had his trusty sling and his staff with him. And he was confident God could use his well-developed skills. Can you just imagine how much time this guy sat in the fields practicing with that sling? It's amazing. You can prepare for spiritual battles, too, by knowing God, by making the most of your life experiences, your spiritual gifts, Getting to know the word and what's in the Bible. So that's about preparation. But I said preparation, grace and love. Where did grace and love come into the story? Because this doesn't sound like a whole lot of grace and love going on. Well, look at verses 40 to 50 with me. And we'll, we'll just try to skim it real quick here that, um, you know, he picked up verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them in his, his bag. And so he's got his staff and he's sling, and he, he heads down into the valley to confront Goliath. Goliath comes out and he, he says, you know, verse 43, am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with sticks. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath yelled and David replied, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God. Of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a god in Israel. This is a shepherd boy talking. I mean, he talks. He he better back this up. God better back this up, because he's making some big claims. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching in his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling. He hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. The Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. And David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword David ran over and pulled out Goliath's sword from its sheath and used it to kill him and cut off his head. Wow. Five smooth stones. Possibly containing what's called barium sulfate, which means they would have been heavy, very dense stone in that valley. But why five? He only needed one. Because if he missed with the first one, right, that sword was coming through. Well, the Bible gives details for a reason. There's always a reason for details. What does the number five represent? Five is considered by many to be the number of God's grace. Five represents grace. So when you see sets of fives in the Bible, pay attention. It's intended to remind you of God's grace. Five books of the Old Testament law, five main offerings, five sections in the book of Psalms, numerous sets of fives in the tabernacle, five ingredients in the sacred anointing oil for the priests, and, and and then uncut stones were often used to assemble an altar, to worship and to sort of remember God. So David's five little stones remind us of God's grace on Israel. And love? Well, David's name means loved of God, beloved. It's a great name. And so we see even in this short little encounter that... How how David loved God, was zealous, passionate for God. And how God loved him and he knew that he was loved by God. Here's, Here's just the takeaway for this. You are loved by God. And when you grasp that He loves you, you'll find it much easier to receive and live in the grace that He has for you. There's nothing you can do to prove yourself to God. To prove your value, you are already completely loved, no matter how big your giant. So be prepared for the battle against your giant. Get to know God's word, right? Learn relationship skills, get into a small group like we've talked about or support group. Read a book, ask for some advice, advice, whatever it is, and then begin to declare God's grace and his love over your life. Remind yourself that you are his beloved and that you live Under his favor. And finally, the part of the story that I think is my favorite, I I just love this. When the giant falls, victory follows. When the giant falls, victory follows. Look look at verses 51 to 53. Let's put that right up there on the screen. David ran and stood over Goliath. He took the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Next slide. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. That's back to their home cities. Right? Their dead were strewn along the uh, Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Wow. What a turn of events. When Goliath fell, the Philistines didn't then charge down and cover his failure and support their fallen hero. They ran for home. You know, so often when you deal with that one big obstacle in your life, that that broken relationship, that unresolved unforgiveness, that habit, that health problem, that undisciplined part of your life, whatever it is, when we strike down that giant, so many other victories follow. And those of you who have experienced that, you know that's true. Those of you who are looking at your giant saying, I don't know, I don't know about this. You strike down one big giant. It's amazing how many other enemies will fall in victories. Will follow. Let's be honest, though. You can't do this. You do not have what it takes. Not on your own. God never meant for you to achieve righteousness by your own hard work. God never meant for you to to accomplish all that you can on your own. Quit trying. It's impossible. Instead, remind yourself that Christ Jesus lives in you. If you're a believer in Him, the The Spirit of God lives in you and Christ in you can deal with whatever it is you face. Even in some of those very practical, everyday struggles, Jesus can do this and you can cooperate with him and see it done. For the sake of the kingdom and the reputation of God, he wants you to win this battle. Now, you and I already know what some of our giants are. Maybe you're thinking about a situation you're facing this week or a person you've been, this is just a challenge for you or a problem somehow in your life. But other things, you don't know what giant you're going to face tomorrow. You don't know. You might be like David and you've got a basket of bread and your shepherd's staff and a sling and all of a sudden you're striking down Goliath. Be ready. Be prepared. For whatever God may have. Recognize your giants. But focus on the Lord. Remember that you are who you need to be. And prepare but recognize that grace and love are powerful in the battle. And then let that giant fall and watch the victory fall. It's good news. It's good news. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for preserving this story for us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've allowed us to to get in there with David and to see this in our mind's eye. And Lord, whatever it is that we face this week, God, I ask that you just give us that courage, that Mm -hmm. zeal to be be zealous for you and to, to be fed up with the way the enemy wants to mock you in our lives and steal your glory in our lives. God, let us just be fed up with that. And church, as we're, as we're bowed, heads are bowed, I, I just want to encourage you to be, be saying, Lord, are there places in my life where I have not been trusting you in the battle against the things that I'm facing? Today would be a great day, just in your own way, just to, in a sense, resubmit yourself to the Lord. God, I can only fight these giants by your power. And for others, maybe you're, you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, and today would be the day. And if you would like to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you today, just raise your hand and I'll pray with you after the service with someone to help you with that. Anybody like that today say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. All right, God, I thank you that you're present here in this place. We, uh, we just say, bless to our soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Because God, you are great, and you can strike down those giants in our life. We ask for your just your your your, your just full on favor and, and guidance over our lives this week. We bless you in Jesus' name, Amen.